Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. My guest tonight, or today, depending on when you're listening, is Erica Ensign. Erica, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, you are joining the ranks of repeat guests. Uh, I'm excited to have you back. And, uh, of course, I think it is legally obligated that we must talk about Doctor Who uh, before we talk about Star Trek, I don't know if there well, are... This episode a, makes it easy. I know, I was going to say. So there, there is, I don't know of any Doctor Who news that's happening right now, but this episode that we're going to be talking about, which uh, I think this will be the earliest in Random Trek history that I've ever actually said the name of the episode we're going to talk about, uh, Melora, which is a Deep Space Nine episode, season two, episode six, has a Doctor Who connection. It sure does. As a matter of fact, see, I didn't, I didn't know it by the title, but as soon as you, you randomized it and told me what episode it was going to be, I uh, turned to my spouse, Stephen, and said, oh, we're, we're, I'm going to talk about Melora from Deep Space Nine. I don't know that one. And Stephen goes, did Scott pick that on purpose? Because that's the one with Daphne Ashbrook. And I was like, what? And then you sent me a message saying, did you pick that one on purpose? Because it has Daphne Ashbrook in it. And I said, I don't know who Daphne Ashbrook <laughs> is, and I did not pick it on purpose. <laughs> So who is she? Obviously, she plays the the Melora character in Deep Space Nine. Correct. But in, in Doctor Who, uh, there was there was a TV movie that was kind of in between the classic series of Doctor Who and the new series of talk, Doctor Who. Fox tried to revive it in the States in 1996. And she played the the sort of companion to the Doctor. Although she, there's some argument as to whether she actually qualifies because she didn't go anywhere with the Doctor oh. in, the, in the TARDIS. But but she was there. As a matter of fact, her character, uh, Doctor Doctor Grace Holloway, uh, killed the Seventh Doctor <laughs> on the on the operating table because she was a heart surgeon and didn't realize that he was an alien and had two hearts and oh. ended up. Basically, he he had been shot, so it wasn't entirely her fault. But but yeah, so she's the one that makes him makes him kick the bucket, and you know, then he's in the morgue, and they think he's dead, and regenerates into the dreamy, dreamy eighth Doctor, and uh, and yeah, and then they sort of hook up and travel around, and they save the world from from an, an evil bad guy and stuff and, uh, <laughs> as you do. And yeah, so she so she was she was a very main uh, main character in this one pretty important episode of Doctor Who. I mean, if that thing didn't keep Doctor Who in the minds of people during that time, I don't know that the show would have made it back in the form that it did. Hmm. Now, I, I find it fascinating that if in order to be considered a companion, some people think that they have to actually go somewhere with the Doctor. Oh, Scott, there are <laughs> there are rules and there are other people's rules. And there, yeah, there, there are very specific criteria that you need to meet to be considered a companion, according to some Goodness. people's definitions. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I probably am, but it, it wasn't there a doctor who his TARDIS was broken, so he didn't go anywhere? <laughs> Yes, the third doctor was on Earth. And as a matter of fact, during most of that time, his quote-unquote companions were referred to as his assistants oh. because because he worked for this governmental organization and and actually had people assigned to him as his assistant. So so a lot of times if you're talking to, to middle-aged folks who grew up watching that doctor, they will still continue to refer to his the doctor's companions as assistants sometimes, uh. even though it's totally not appropriate anymore. <laughs> now, is there a great great rift between people who think that the assistants also are classified as companions and the people who think that they're companions and assistants, they are different and you should be ashamed of yourself for thinking they're the same. 
Um, I have heard arguments like that. Yes, uh, in the in in the halls of Doctor Who, Doctor mm-hmm. Who um, community gatherings and conventions and stuff. Uh, and then there are a lot of people who are just like, whatever. They're all on. They're all on television. They all hang out with the Doctor. Let's talk about them all on equal footing. I, I try to be in that camp as much as I can, but sometimes I find myself falling into the the nerd trap. <laughs> it happens to the best of us as someone who hosts a Star Trek podcast. Uh, I know this to be a fact because I think I feel like generally I'm in the camp of, well, it's just a TV show. Let's have fun talking about it, which I think 90% of the time, yes. But then there are certain things that I'm like, oh, man, mm-hmm. the, you clearly you don't know anything about Star Trek because this is the right answer. <laughs> and there's no other possible way you could think about it. I know how uh, that goes. Yes. And actually, it's interesting, too, that this, speaking of Doctor Who conventions, that it's it's uh, Daphne Ashbrook in this one because, not to be all name-droppy, but I have met Daphne Ashbrook a number oh. of times um, because she she goes to quite a few Doctor Who conventions and has been at some of the ones that I have. And, I mean, I think one of the last ones I went to, I t- went on a winery tour with her. <laughs> <laughs> And, and some other people. But but yeah, she is just a delightful human being who looks still exactly the way she did in this episode. So I feel like she's got some sort of dark, dark anti-aging powers going on there. Goodness. But, but yeah, like when you see her smile in this episode, that is how mm-hmm. her face looks like 90% of the time. She's just a sweet, genuinely happy person laughing and joking with everybody around her. It's just she's a nice person to be around. So it was really cool to watch this, watch this episode <laughs> and be like, I, I know that person sort of. I know her. Kind of, and she's nicer than this character that she's playing. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, she's she's what I like to call in this episode, Melora. I don't know the actress, uh, so I, I I will take you at your word that she's a lovely person. I'm sure she is. Uh, I would I would call Melora a prickly pear. She's a prickly pear, uh, and she has her reasons. It's it's not uh, uh, entirely uh, unsympathetic, but I do think she's also kind of a jerk. Uh, but uh, we'll get into that. Actually, speaking of Star Trek, uh, I don't know exactly when this is going to drop, but just as of like two days ago as we're recording this, uh, a book came out called Outs- mm, uh, yes. Outside In Boldly Goes, and it's uh, it's 117, I think, uh, essays on Star Trek stories, uh, which uh, one of those is mine. So <laughs> There you go. You, you are a Star Trek fan. It's true. We've covered this. You're, you're, you're more of a Doctor Who fan, clearly, but yeah, yeah, Star Trek. Sure. Uh, and also uh, our... Uh, incomparable head honcho and friend mm-hmm. Jason Snell also has an essay in that book. So I will put a link in the show notes for people to check it out. Um, I uh, considered trying to do one, but then I couldn't think of any good ideas and I ran out of time. And so I didn't do it. <laughs> it but <happens. laughs> that's my, it's my own fault. Uh, my lack of uh, inspiration. Uh, and so a fun, a fun fact, uh, Memory Alpha, uh, I, just to read the kind of reaction to this episode when it came out, uh, and I found out the person who wrote it, or at least part of it, because if you see it in the in the credits, it's like, you know, a story by, and then there's like 18 people with a teleplay by. Um, mm-hmm. the, the guy who wrote the story is, well, he's dead, but he was uh, in a wheelchair himself. So uh, fun fact. Yeah. And he had trouble, uh, part of the this 
episode is about how this Melora is from uh, a world with low gravity, and so she she has trouble uh, walking around in, uh, you know, I'm going to say normal gravity, because seemingly <laughs> everybody else in the Federation has the same exact gravity. Um, For some reason. I do yes. like it. She has a line at one point where she where she actually says very sort of cattily, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, in what you consider normal <laughs> gravity, which I thought was a nice dig at the Federation folks. Yes. Uh, so she has trouble getting around. He uh, had trouble getting around the Deep Space Nine set and offices because it wasn't really uh, friendly to wheelchairs. Uh, mm-hmm. And in fact, they had uh, some kind of uh, anti-grav wheelchair that was in a TNG episode that they wanted to use. Uh, but they realized that uh, the actual set, Deep Space Nine set corridors were so much narrower that they could not use that same thing. Uh which wow. is why they have that throwaway line about how the anti-grav is incompatible with uh, Cardassian technology. <laughs> oh, I love science fiction. You can explain anything away with a hand wave. Exactly. You know, these Cardassians. Also, Cardassians love uh, to have uh, lips on the bottom of their doors that you can trip over, which does seem like a bad design. I feel like that that speaks to perhaps a, a nautical past for oh. the Cardassians. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a submarine sort of a thing. That's true. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, and this is, this episode is interesting to me also, and then we could just jump into it. Uh, I'm giving you a bunch of preambles. Uh, oh, and there's another thing I want to talk about. So this, this episode discusses someone who is not disabled on their home world, right? Because they have their, they're perfectly fine on their home world. And once again, I, we're going to be talking about disabled things, and I don't want to offend anyone. So if I do, just assume it's my ignorance. I'm not trying to offend you, uh, <laughs> anyone who's listening. Uh, but then she comes to this this different set of uh, gravity, right? And she suddenly can't do the things that she could do before. And so she's frustrated by it. Uh, and this, I think, perhaps I like this episode more because uh, my mom was uh, had some medical issues before she passed away, uh, and so we, I saw her go from being able to you know walk around and do whatever she wanted to slowly being you know not able to do that. She was needed a walker and then a wheelchair, and so it was just interesting to see how this rang true to me. Uh, as someone who is watching someone else actually go through it and seeing my mother being very frustrated by the fact that she could do these simple things before and now it was a kind of a rigmarole and she was not happy about it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that part of the episode was well done. So those are my preambles about this episode. Yeah, I will. I will second second that. I I like I I like when science fiction tries to tackle an, an issue in the real world. And I do feel like it's a very sort of Star Trek thing to to try to come at it sideways a little bit because, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to disability, she she is disabled because of because of the gravity here. But you're right. It's it's she's not actually disabled in the way that most that we would see most disabled people or people with disabilities. There's two camps on how it's best oh, to say see, that. I and I'm even... just going to I'm just going to go with whatever happens to fly out of my mouth and apologize to the rest. Um, but that that uh, she is, you know, perfectly, quote unquote, normal hail and whole. She doesn't have anything that she cannot do on her own planet. Mm-hmm. But when she gets here, that she can't so it's it's not quite the same the same exact thing it's so I, I i haven't decided if i feel like they're just sort of trying to have have it both ways mm-hmm. a little bit too much 
which which kind of nerfs the uh, the, <laughs> the intensity of how much they're actually tackling this subject. But I do think that you know maybe even especially at the time that it originally aired way back when it was the kind of thing that wasn't on television that much. I mean, it still isn't on it's TV still- as much as it probably should be to mm-hmm. reflect the world the way it actually is. There are a lot more people in wheelchairs that I run into just on a day to day basis, just walking around Edmonton, than I see on really any given tv show so at least so i do agree that i'm I'm pleased that it's something that they that they did even if even if they didn't get it right necessarily every single time and i am also no expert uh on disability and i have i do have friends who are so i always feel like i'm a little bit sort of worried about saying the wrong thing but you know i'm i'm coming from a place of of love and actually, you know, wanting more representation and stuff. So I do hope people will recognize that. Exactly. I think we're both in the same boat in that case. I don't want to offend anyone and it is not, uh, I want to be cognizant of the fact that it is possible that I could unknowingly offend someone using a term. And if that is the case, I apologize. It is not what I'm trying to do. I am fully supportive of, uh, people with disabilities or disabled mm-hmm. people. I don't know which yeah, is the right for, one. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it depends on who you ask. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> so they're both right and they're both very, very wrong. There you go. Um, but I do, I, I do think that, uh, you know, talking about how the writer of this episode had trouble getting around the set of Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine. And I, I think that, boy, we, we haven't even really come all that much farther when it comes to, to accessibility. Um, I mean, when my grandmother was, was elderly, uh, I pushed her around in a wheelchair from time to time. And I had a friend uh, back in Madison with cerebral palsy who used an electric wheelchair. And um, Lynn and Michael Thomas, who are the uh, co-editors and co-publishers of uh, Uncanny Magazine, which I do a podcast for as well. Their daughter, Caitlin, is in a wheelchair. So whenever I'm out and about with them, like I'm just, even when I'm not out and about with them, I have spent enough time with all these people that I kind of note things when the the sidewalk is not properly, you know, great down to the street to be able to cross the street all that kind of stuff sort of stands mm-hmm. out to me and it's everywhere so i i really feel like i have melora's back in this episode <laughs> because she has got some gosh darn good complaints she does and i think that one of my favorite things in science fiction or really any kind of literature or story is when you take the familiar and it becomes unfamiliar uh, and so that is seen here because obviously Melora is coming to Deep Space Nine and she is seeing it in an entirely new set of eyes and forcing everyone around her to think about, gee, we can't put ramps. There are places in the station she just can't go because we can't put ramps. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, I th- who says it? Maybe Dax says it. Well, can't we just beam her? wherever, which was the actually, as soon as they said that, I thought, well, can't they just beam her anywhere? Uh, (laughs) And so good on the screenwriter for uh, putting that in there. And uh, they were like, yes, but uh, she has made it clear. Melora has made it clear that she does not want that to happen. Uh, And then you think Melora is at the beginning, as I said, she's not the nicest person in the world. uh, And you have to, you have to cut her a little slack, obviously, because she's dealing with, uh, having this heavy gravity and not being able to do everything that she can normally do. Uh, but you can't cut her all the slack of the world, right? Because she's kind of mean to everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she is, She is. but at the same time, like, I... When you spend your entire life dealing with crap, whatever whatever mm-hmm. particular you know flavor of crap it is that you're talking about, <laughs> there's whether, so many flavors of crap. Yeah, 
aren't there? Like whether you are a person of color and you're dealing with racism all the time or you're a woman and you're dealing with with sexism. Like when Mm -hmm. you just when you get that all the time, sometimes it's hard to sort of mind shift out of that because every single interaction that you're going into, if 99% of them are all somebody thinking that you cannot do thing, the things that you can and trying to either, you know, either from a place of being well-meaning or from a place of looking down their nose at you, thinking that you are lesser and incapable because of, you know, whatever it is that is that is going on in your life. So when you run into people who are as I feel the characters on Deep Space Nine are, you know, there are there are point of view characters, so I feel like they're trying. They're they're not um, they're not being awful to her, but I think they are, in some cases, being a little bit. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe not as as straightforward and as they as they could be. I do think. I mean, yes, it makes sense for the command staff to get together and and talk about something, but when the person involved like is an actual officer, she should be in on those conversations. She was absolutely right. That was totally unconscionable <laughs> for them to just be talking about what she could or could not do behind her back. I mean, that kind of thing just I, yeah. So even the other scenes where Dr. Bashir is really just genuinely concerned for her her well-being and her safety and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I cannot blame her for for just getting her back up because because she never knows when the next sentence is going to be something really ridiculous and awful because she gets it all the time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm cutting her quite a bit of slack, I think. Yeah, and I, I cut her a lot of slack, but I do think that they – and perhaps this is this is probably, I'm sure, a choice by uh, the writer as well mm-hmm. to, to, to have her react like this and make people like me think, well, she's being a little harsh. And then you think, well, actually – uh, she is dealing with a lot of stuff that people just don't have to think about. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when my mom, I was pushing my mom around in a wheelchair, and you, I'm sure you've had this uh, same thing happen to you, Erica. That suddenly, the world looks has a very different perspective because you have to start thinking about: well, is there a ramp? Is there like a, a cutout in this sidewalk so we can, you know, easily cross the street and all that stuff? Uh, and this is stuff you just don't have to think about on a day-to-day basis, or at least I don't have to think about it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and so being confronted with it, you think, oh, right, these things are a lot harder for people, some people, than they are for me, um, which is true to many, many different flavors of crap as well. <laughs> uh, uh, as, as a white guy, I, I have to deal with very f- much fewer flavors of crap than many other people. So, <laughs> uh, Oh, yeah, but yet I do have to deal with some. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think anybody escapes that entirely. No, it's sad. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's, so yeah, so she, uh, Malora is, uh, from a, a low gravity planet. She's one of, I think she is the first person from her planet in Starfleet. We find out many of her fellow, um, I don't even remember the name of her race. Uh, Lasians or Lasians, something? yes. Uh, they don't leave the planet, one assumes, because, I don't know, the gravity's low and they don't have their own spaceships. I don't know. That would make much mm-hmm. sense to me, but whatever. Uh, they're, I mean, if they're the only planet that, that has – I mean, maybe they traveled a while back, found out that all these other planets have terrible <laughs> gravity and figured, screw we're staying home. <laughs> it's much nicer here at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have – so the low gravity thing uh, happens a couple times in this episode, um, and the, the effect isn't as bad as I thought it would be, so that's good. <laughs> uh, but it's not great. Uh, like Bashir, they, they give her quarters and they give her a little like a uh, – uh, a clapper, but it's not really a clapper. It's a button, uh, so she could turn off the gravity and so she could float around. 
Um, and I like the fact that, A, she doesn't want Bashir to be there at first because she's like, this is a private thing. Go away, creepy doctor guy who's kind of hitting on me but kind of being nice. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> Bashir is always weird, I think. So uh, but then eventually she warms up to him and she lets him stay and they float around. Uh, and he acts as though he has never been in low gravity, which bothers yeah. me. <laughs> it was yeah, that actually, that scene reminded me of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where mm-hmm. they drink fizzy lifting juice, and, like, you know, you got the old guy and the young kid, like, just floating around, like, not knowing what to do. They're just sort of flailing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, is he's a Starfleet officer. He's on a space station. You think he would have had some training of that sort? You would think that uh, at the Academy, at least, you have to go through a zero-G combat course or something, so he would know something. He knows nothing, apparently. Uh, no, and I, I expected, like, in that scene... Uh, from what I know about astronaut training, like, shouldn't he have been spewing his lunch? Like, just being in low gravity? Like, at first, doesn't it make you nauseous until you're used does. to it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I did – the other thing that scene that I love is that she t- is about to turn off the gravity. So she says, oh, Dr. Bashir, you should brace yourself because uh, the gravity is going to turn off and it could be, you know, a jarring um, transition. And to brace himself, he literally – all he does is he puts his hand on the wall <laughs> – he doesn't put his other head anywhere. He doesn't do anything. He just puts no. his head on the wall. And, I was and like, if you're pushing, if you're bracing yourself, you're actually putting some kind of force or leaning against the wall. And then as soon as the gravity turns off, I would assume, you know, equal and opposite reactions mean that he should be like, you know, zipping away across, from the wall because yeah, he's mm-hmm. pushing. The physics are maybe not perfect in this episode. No, not perfect. And then the other, at the big climax of this show, uh, which we will get to, but there's another zero-G uh, moment where she kind of flies across the room uh, and hits, knocks somebody out, although she flies very slowly. It was very weird. I guess I'm sure it's a limitation <laughs> of special effects at the time. But uh, but so th- those are my, my, uh, my, my nitpicks about this episode because I feel like all Starfleet officers should be adept at zero-G environments. And uh, Dr. Bashir maybe, is not. Maybe he missed that day. <laughs> He was just sick. Uh, yep. And so he was like, well, this is stupid. I'm a doctor. I will never have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fool. Uh, and then we fight. So Melora is coming. Everybody's getting ready. Everybody being Bashir because he's been talking to her over subspace about her needs. He's replicated her up uh, the wheelchair that she wants. Uh, he's taken uh, the initiative to customize it without asking mm-hmm. her. I guess it's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> no. In the end. <laughs> No. It is not. She does not appreciate his customizations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Un- unforeseen, uh, unforeseen, cir- uh, not circumstances, that's not the word. Um, I'm, repercussions? I'm blanking on the phrase, but but yeah, like it's repercussions. And consequences? Thank you. That's, that's the one I'm looking right. for. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because she's like, I was practicing. So she arrives, Dr. Bashir and Dax are there. They're excited to give this wheelchair, the new improved wheelchair to her. Uh, and she's like, oh, this is great. And she sits down and she's, she says, uh, did you change anything? And he was like, well, I made some improvements. And she was like, oh, thank you. I was practicing on the other one for months. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I really did like her delivery on that. Uh, and he was like, oh, well, uh, we can just re- replicate you another one. And she said, no, no, that's fine. I'll have to learn to adapt. Exactly. And that's kind of, I think, her character in a nutshell, right? She mm-hmm. doesn't want... Any special consider any more special considerations than she absolutely needs, mm-hmm. uh, because clearly she needs she couldn't work without some special considerations, but and not even special, just considerations, right? Right. Uh, 
uh, or uh, accommodations, I think is uh, probably mm-hmm. the right word. Uh, so she needs a wheelchair because she can't walk around. That's cool. She has like a little exoskeleton thing that she can use for a little bit uh, and a cane. <laughs> uh, and I did like the fact that the wheelchair had a cane holder for her. Uh, that was yeah. a good touch. <laughs> that was that was awesome. And I have to I have to give her props for her um, her acting. I thought that mm-hmm. she really she sold it. The, uh, just the the being tired out, the breathless breathlessness, which I think is sometimes a hard thing to do when you're a trained actor because you're supposed to, you know, breath regulation is is a thing that you learn, and <laughs> she has to sound out of breath in a lot of scenes because she's been struggling so much. Except that she, as an actor, hasn't really been struggling all that much, uh, but she sells it. She does. So so kudos to her. She does a great job in this episode. I think. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsor. Casper. Now, you've heard me talk about Casper before. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to customers, eliminating commission-driven inflated pricing, and it has an award-winning sleep surface, people, which was developed in-house and has a sleek design and delivered in a small how-did-they-do-that size box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. Because you don't want to sleep on the finest mattress in the world on crappy sheets. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Scott, how did they develop this awesome mattress that combines both springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce? They have an in-house team of engineers who spent thousands of hours developing this space-age sleep surface. And... It is breathable, it sleeps cool, and it helps you regulate your temperature throughout the night. You want to know how much it costs? Well, I'll tell you. Many mattresses can cost over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin size, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. When you buy a Casper mattress, it's completely risk-free. They freely deliver it to you. They will pick it up for free if you don't like it. Uh, and plus, did I mention the 100-night home trial? Because there's a 100-night home trial. So you buy a mattress, sleep on it for 100 nights. If you don't like it, send it back. They'll pick it up and refund you everything. Now, this is a shockingly fair price. It's got lots of foams that I love, supportive memory foams, springy latex, and it was named one of the best inventions of 2015 by Time Magazine. It's crazy. So you should go over to casper.com slash trek use the offer code trek and get yourself a casper mattress for a hundred nights risk-free in your home and if you don't love it they'll take it away but i'm telling you this people you're gonna love it thank you to casper for sponsoring random trek uh and so she's here uh in the wheelchair scooting around uh going to her quarters i forget where she goes but then this is oh she's like oh i'm excited to go she's a cartographer so she's excited to go off and uh uh, map the uh, Delta Quadrant. I always get my quadrants wrong. I don't think it's the mm-hmm. Delta Quadrant. Is it the Delta Quadrant? I actually don't remember. <laughs> I, I, I don't know one quadrant from the other. So oh, man. Yeah, I people, can't tell them apart. Oh, people get terrible. angry uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, the companions and assistants. If you get the wrong quadrant, uh, Star mm-hmm. Trek fans, Gamma Quadrant. There you go. It's the Gamma Quadrant. The Delta oh, Quadrant okay. is where Voyager is. Uh, and the Alpha Quadrant is their home quadrant. All right, everybody, right. relax now. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so right. she's excited to go off and uh, map some of the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, 
Uh, and Dax is like, oh, I too am excited because I will be joining you. Uh, to which Melora does not uh, take too kindly to. Mm-hmm. She is upset because she thinks basically that Dax is being her chaperone because clearly Commander Sisko thinks that Melora cannot handle this simple task. Uh, and that that leads us to this uh, uh, scene where uh, Sisko and Bashir and Dax are talking in Sisko's ready room before Melora gets there about Melora <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and how she wants to go off by herself. And Sisko is like, well, that's not happening. And Melora shows up or rolls up actually and she's like what up everybody <laughs> she does not say that at all uh, <laughs> but she does say that uh she you know commander Sisko's like listen i understand you're upset i am not doing this because i don't trust you or i don't think that you can do it you're an ensign i wouldn't let any ensign take a, a run about into the gamma quadrant without somebody uh so Chill out, lady. Uh, yeah, which and that is one that is one thing where I, I do very much agree with Commander Cisco's decision <laughs> that makes perfect sense, and I, I, she is just a little bit whiny about it. And I think that I think mm. that there is her projecting a little bit. She's used to she she's used to being treated that way for for spurious reasons, and in this case, mm-hmm. no, you're just you, you really are just a re- being treated like a, a regular ensign. I mean, maybe she wouldn't have had somebody quite so senior if <laughs> if it was somebody else, perhaps, but I don't know. Yeah, and I think that this is, you know, this is, it speaks to the fact that if you, like you said before, if you keep dealing with the same thing over and over and over again, soon enough, you start thinking every situation is that same thing happening over and over again. And you're like, oh, really? I went through the academy. I've served very well and I have to deal with this every single time. Uh, I could do it. And then, you know, the characters on Deep Space Nine, this is the first time they're being uh, exposed to this situation. And so clearly, they haven't given it as much thought as Melora, right? And they don't think about all of this. And so they mm-hmm. just like innocent things suddenly turn into this big blow up because it's not really a big blow up, but it's a tense moment uh, because they just didn't, it, it doesn't mean as much to them as it does to her. Right. Yep. Uh, and so she, and that's what, this is where we get that phrase uh, that she, she apologizes and she says, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm used to officers trying to solve the Melora problem. Uh, mm-hmm. which I thought was a very kind of gets to the heart of the whole episode, right? Uh, because nobody wants to think of themselves as a problem that needs to be solved. And yet when you get it, one can imagine Starfleet officers, what do they do? They solve problems. So mm-hmm. they immediately try to think, well, let's, how can we be as helpful as possible? <laughs> let's just mm-hmm. solve all these problems for her. And that, that gets to be annoying. I imagine. Yep. And she, and she does kind of get lectured a lot. <laughs> She does. (laughs) And I mean, you know, in in that one case, yes, she deserves it because, you know, she should not be heading off out on her own no matter no matter what. She's just an ensign and she's not even an ensign from the station. But uh, but yeah, there's there's a little bit of sort of self-righteousness, especially coming from Dr. Bashir from time to time. And yeah, like he just he gets a little bit high handed about her attitude when he's sort of, you know, the scene where he breaks through to her and makes her smile. (laughs) by the end. I did not like that. It just Mm -hmm. it was the show very much kind of showing us that that her way is wrong and his way is is right and like she doesn't yeah. have the right to be pissed off about how she's been treated well i don't i don't know about that 
Yeah, that's that. I mean, Dr. Bashir, my least favorite character on Deep Space Nine, so uh, I kind of find him smarmy in general. I don't think they were going for it, but that's just how it comes out for me. Uh, and so that uh, that scene where he's basically like, you're so mean because you are pushing people away. Uh, like, oh my god, you're so smart, Dr. Bashir. How could you figure this out all by yourself? Uh, and then she, but at the end of it, they basically... Uh, become friends oh, and perhaps more, more by more. the end of the episode yes. um, i have to i have to admit that from i, I watched uh, i don't remember exactly how much of deep space nine but i did watch the first couple seasons maybe something like that um and way back in the day dr bashir was actually if not my favorite then one of my favorite characters uh in probably great part because I had a really big crush <laughs> on Snake Alphadil because, oh my god, those eyes. Hey, um, he is but, very handsome. I'm not going to say he's not handsome uh, because he is, clearly. But I always found his character to be a bit oily. I think I think if I were to go back and watch this again, and actually uh, we are planning as soon as uh, the audio guide to Babylon 5 is done, uh, Stephen and I are going to just do a, a Deep Space Nine watch from from the beginning and watch all of it. We probably won't podcast about it, but then again, we <laughs> said that about know. Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I look forward to watching it again, and I think that I chances are I would probably see see Doctor Bashir a little bit more as you see him at this point than <laughs> than when I was a starry eyed uh, you know youngster. He's always trying to get uh, Dax to hang out with him, and I'm like, come on, Dax can do better than you, Bashir. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that's true. (laughs) And she does. She gets Worf. So uh, I feel like Worf is uh, greater than uh, Bashir, but that's just (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so ways, I'm not, I'm I'm not, I don't know if I'm I'm completely on board with that one. (laughs) Well, Worf has his own issues. I talk about Worf and how he, uh, uh, he, they also in TNG they tried to briefly have Worf and Counselor Troy have a relationship. Uh, yeah, which that. seems problematic because you know Worf. Mm-hmm. I like Worf a lot, but one of his characteristics I don't think you could list in touch with his emotions. Uh, yeah. and, and one would seem like that is entirely you know whatever you feel about Counselor Troy, almost her entire character is that she is in touch with her emotions and other people's <laughs> emotions literally so mm-hmm. yes a little conflict there uh anyway we're not here to talk about Worf or Counselor Troy uh although i feel like Counselor Troy probably could have helped Melora get a more mm-hmm. uh, accustomed to this the station uh so yeah then Bashir has this big you know sit down fight not really fight but he he breaks down about how Melora is being a jerk and nobody likes a jerk. <laughs> so let's, mm. let, let us just help you jerk. Uh, and she's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they go out for, uh, for food with the comedy Klingon cook. <laughs> the singing comedy uh, comedian cook as we uh, mm. Klingon cook as we find out later, uh, which may remind me that I hate going to restaurants where someone's wandering around singing. It just makes me uncomfortable. I've never been to one, and I hope I never do. <laughs> no, because then you're always like, oh, they're going to stop at the table, and if they stop at the table, are we supposed to look at them or talk? Yeah, or do awkward. I have to give a tip or something? I don't know. Uh, this is my own <laughs> social anxieties <laughs> came out during that scene. I was like, oh. And the, they started talking. I was like, oh, I don't know. But yeah, so she. this is another way where uh, Bashir's like, well, let me order <laughs> for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, because clearly, I don't, I'm the man, I guess, and you have never had Klingon food, I assume, for whatever reason and so he tries to order and he does successfully order food mm-hmm. uh, but then this is where we find out that Melora not only uh, has had Klingon cuisine before but is fluent in Klingon and realizes that they are getting passed off half dead 
I think it was, were they having ga? I don't know. They're having some worms. It started with an R. Roth Roth, or something. Roth, yes. I don't know. But she gets the better one, and the Klingon is happy uh, and throws food around, as you would imagine a Klingon would, uh, and they eat their disgusting Klingon meal. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I I couldn't do it. I I would. I would try it, but I'd probably only get through a couple bites and be like, okay. <laughs> I don't think I would try it. Although at the end, they show us uh, a tight shot of Bashir eating the last worm, and it is clearly a gummy worm. Uh, yep. <laughs> and I thought, I could eat a gummy worm. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're delicious. Totally. Uh, oh, I guess we should briefly mention there is this episode is mostly a plot with Melora trying to, you know, deal with the station and all the issues there. The B plot is Quark is uh, going to get killed. By this guy, he screwed over when they stole some Romulan ale. Uh, and the guy, I did enjoy the character shows up and Quark is like, oh, what are you doing here? And he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't try to lie or anything. He's like, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> I enjoyed <laughs> that. like a good straightforward bad guy. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that Nothing really happens with that. But at the end, the two plots kind of hit uh, one another in mm-hmm. a weird conclusion uh, that we will get to uh what else do we need to talk oh so they go off dax and melora are about to go off on their trip uh and speaking of trip melora has decided that she <laughs> she needs some sensor another sensor before she can they can go off and map things uh and she is uh we find out she tripped in i guess the storage room or something and her her exoskeleton kind of freaks out because she fell on her controls and dr Bashir, i think no uh dax finds her because yeah dax showed up at her quarters to get her because they were going to go off uh and dax finds her on the floor unable to get up because of the gravity and her malfunctioning suit and uh, off they go to sick bay and i thought this is where the episode took an odd turn because they go to sick bay uh, Dr. Bashir says, oh, you're fine. You can go tomorrow. Uh, also, I can totally uh, do some research and create an untested medical procedure that could fix this for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and mm. I thought to myself, does she really need to be fixed, though? I mean, it's not. Mm-hmm. This is just the way she is. <laughs> right. It seems like there are a lot of ethical questions that Dr. Bashir just kind of skips over in order to acclimate her to uh, higher gravity environments. Yeah. And I mean, if, if she has chosen to spend the rest of her life in Federation space and, you know, never, ever, ever go home again, um, then, and and she made the choice to, to have that sort of a treatment, I would have, feel that that was that was fine but yeah the idea that that she needs fixing and i mean even even people with disabilities have sometimes this this thought when it comes to to depending on what kind of disability it is if there's some sort of technique to to alter the way someone's life is lived there's there's still a a really big decision to be made as to whether or not that's mm-hmm. something that they want to undertake, um, especially if there are risks associated with it. And in this case, it's 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 not so much a risk as for sure you're probably not <laughs> going to be able to go home again. You're never going to be able to fly around the room low grav style yes. anymore. And I thought uh, my other problem, you know, a doing some kind of you know untested medical procedure on someone seems like it's a problem uh, as a doctor. Also, he doesn't really yeah. tell her after, until after the first treatment that she could never go back into low-gravity environments. Which well, I mean, he makes it sound like she should have already known or they talked about it before or something. It's not entirely clear. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he was like, oh, you can't, uh, I forgot to tell you. He doesn't say I forgot to tell you, but he's like, no, you can't mm-hmm. go into low gravity because it'll screw up. Uh, it's one or the other, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can you can visit your home world after you do these things, but you can't stay there. Uh, or, or I guess I want to assume, though, if she just stayed there, she would the treatment would stop working. Oh, no, actually, what would happen is she would then become, dis- have another kind of disability on her home world, right? Because her mm-hmm. her... Uh, motor system would be at all out of whack uh, and she wouldn't be able to do what she could normally do in right. low gravity. And so it seems like that's even worse to mm-hmm. me. I don't know. She And long story short, she also feels that way because she decides uh, that she doesn't want to take the treatments anymore. And Dr. Bashir yeah. is sad, uh, but he understands, I think. Who knows? Uh, Probably. I guess. We'll assume he understands. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's a doctor after all. Exactly. So there are a couple of scenes with her and Dex in the shuttlecraft and basically, or the runabout, uh, don't send me any meals. They're different, I know. <laughs> uh, and uh, she basically is like, OMG, I'm falling for this guy, but how do you deal with long-distance relationships? And Dex is like, it's tough. And then uh, she's like, I don't know what to do. And Dex says, well, think of the alternative. And she thinks, okay, I guess it's worth a try. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I really, as much as I do have a crush on Dr. Bashir, I do not get how he won her over <laughs> by being so smug and self righteous and he's, she's only been there for like two days and she's already thinking like oh you know do i change my entire life and <laughs> what, what? I, I felt like that happened just too fast for, yes. for words and i feel like the, it, it all revolves around that round that scene where he's like you're a jerk we're just trying to help and she's like mm-hmm. oh you completely changed my mind also you have dreamy eyes uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that part i buy entirely <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, oh, and this yeah, is where... And actually, just about that scene in particular, like, the, mm-hmm. the this episode, it, it does pass the Bechdel test because, you know, you you mm-hmm. do have Dax and, and Melora talking about, um, you know, supplies and her chair and, yep. you know, tripping and all that kind of stuff. But the first scene that we get with the two of them that isn't, you know, some sort of Jeopardy kind of happening when it's just the two of them alone oh, yeah. They're talking doing about... their work, they immediately start talking about romance and a dude. And I was just, I rolled oh, my, my eyes <laughs> so hard i think i strained something oh no uh mm. i did find that a little problematic uh, <laughs> but uh i guess you know you're out there on the runabouts you, you gotta talk about something for some and you might as well talk about dr Bashir and uh how you might have a long distance relationship because i think any relationship the best relationship with dr Bashir is one where you're several light years away from me <laughs> <laughs> take that dr Bashir. <laughs> Uh, and then, so she, uh, it turns out they, uh, they find some, I don't remember what they do. They have to come back to Deep Space Nine for some reason, whatever. Uh, and as this is all happening, uh, Quark has convinced the guy who wants to kill him to not kill him if he gives him 199 pieces of gold pressed latinum, uh, which he's going to get because he's selling an alien some bracelets. Uh, the alien takes the bracelets, gives him the money. Uh, the guy who wants to kill Quark decides he wants both the bag of bracelets and the money and Quark. So he takes them all, runs through Deep Space Nine, uh, kills the alien that they were about to take the, the the sold the bracelets to, and then they run into the runabout, take Dax and Melora and Quark hostage. Off they go, uh, and this is the climactic end. Uh, they take the runabout. Cisco's like, ah, you can't take the runabout, uh, but they do. Then Cisco. And O'Brien and Bashir jump into another runabout and chase them through the wormhole. Uh, and uh, Melora is shot. We think she's killed. And I actually hadn't seen this episode in a long time, so I thought, did they actually kill her? <laughs> uh, they did not kill <laughs> I, her. I, yeah. <laughs> so overall, Erica, what do you think of this episode? Thumbs up, thumbs down? 
I actually gave it a, a pretty solid thumbs up. I mean, bes- besides the, the fact that maybe they didn't hit all of the right notes when it comes to ableism and, and disability and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but th- again, the fact that they are, are addressing it and tackling it at all, I think is is important and certainly was important at the time. So mm-hmm. so I liked that. Uh, I really liked Ash- Daphne Ashbrook in general. I liked her as this character. You know, I, I, I do like Dr. Bashir. I was, and, and my memories of Deep Space Nine are pretty fuzzy, but I had remembered not being a Quark fan and people many people have talked about Quark as one of the more annoying characters on this show (laughs) so I was really kind of I had these expectations built up or maybe built down as the case may be (laughs) and when Quark shows up in the in the first scene that he's in I was just like oh god it's this guy and no he was actually kind of charismatic and just he did not bother me in this episode maybe maybe because the b plot was was a very lowercase b mm-hmm. uh, wasn't wasn't very big um but i i did not find him annoying so i was kind of like even quark is fine in this episode <laughs> look at that yeah. everybody wins even quark uh quark yep. is no neelix i like quark but i could see how yeah, he can annoy I, people I think maybe I had just sort of taken my my Neelix feelings <laughs> and sort of like pasted them onto Quark, which is really not a fair thing to do. It's not a fair thing to do to anybody. Nope, nope, nope. Far far fewer uh, shiny pajamas in Quark's uh, wardrobe than in Neelix's uh, wardrobe. Yeah, that's that is that is an important <laughs> important thing. Actually, speaking of costuming and stuff, um, I really enjoyed the hair and makeup on Ballora. I mm-hmm. thought that that was that mm-hmm. was very well done. I don't think Daphne Ashbrook is like blonde blonde like that in real life and and yeah but it looked very natural on her and it was and she had like sparkly things in her hair yes. i don't know if that was supposed to be part of her hair but i liked it yeah i i was gonna point that out too i don't know what they were but it looked very cool and unlike anything we've seen in star trek before uh and so i like it when they they push beyond uh, i mean she is basically another alien with some crap on her forehead but she also has crap in her hair so it's a little different <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and I think so. I think overall, it was it was a positive. I mean, it seemed like a very sort of just intimate, quiet little story. There mm-hmm. wasn't a whole lot going on around the edges, and for somebody dipping in and just grabbing a single episode to talk about, I felt like I got really lucky, and that was a, a good way to do it. But I think the, the one sort of problem that I have overall is that when it comes down to the end of it, I feel like I feel like overall it felt like our heroes were teaching Melora a lesson, <laughs> teaching her something, rather than them really learning anything from her. I, mm-hmm. di- I didn't feel like they came out of it having gotten any wiser about how to treat other people. So, <laughs> no, they, they're yeah. pretty much the same, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it would have been nice if there was a throwaway line about how, oh, uh, although, you know what, that's a tough thing, too, because if they say, oh, she does just as well as anybody else, then it's like, oh, well, of course she does. But uh, yeah, that's true. It's hard. It's to- a, with a character that's just in one episode and then boom out and gone, it is, it's a hard line to walk there. Mm-hmm. Well, Erica, thank you so much for talking to me and joining me to talk about Melora. This was delightful. I am always delighted to talk to you. <laughs> 